Hey everybody, thank you for coming back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. And so today I'll be chatting about this whole deal going on with Iran and the Middle East, this new, you know, supposed very fishy attack by Iran on uh, two tankers in the Strait of Hormuz. So why do I say this is fishy? Well, very quickly after it happened, you had Pompeo and Bolton and certain people in the media all of a sudden come out and be like, oh, Iran did it. We have proof. It was definitely Iran. And think about this for a minute. Why would Iran want to do this? They know we are watching them like a hawk and that if they kind of misstep or do anything stupid, they know that we have people in the Trump administration that would love nothing better to do than start a new war, and they have Iran in their sights. Okay, so I want you to keep a couple of things in mind for context here. All right, so we have, uh, I guess, a discrepancy in some information. Initially, there were some reports that the tankers were hit by torpedoes, and then it changed into uh, maybe they were, the, they were mines. Uh, okay, so both torpedoes and mines will uh, impact a boat at the water level. They don't jump up out of the water and hit like kind of mid-hull. And these, uh, I guess, holes and explosions that happened in the tankers were at the mid-hull level. Okay, and then the story was changed to... Oh, no, the uh, Iranians ran up there with a boat and put an explosive on. Okay, well, except when the one of the boats that was hit was a, a Japanese tanker, and the Japanese crew was interviewed, they said that they saw something fly into the boat, kind of sort of maybe like a missile or a drone. Okay, that's kind of weird. That doesn't really match with uh, the new narrative that the Iranians put something on the boat. So then we get this really grainy video showing a boat pulling up to one of the tankers and supposedly putting something on or taking something off the boat. Okay, so what is that? Well, the video was horrible, and you couldn't really see much of anything other than a boat, maybe about 10 people on it, and then pulling up side a tanker, and maybe, I, th I think the video shows one of the guys going up to the boat or up to the tanker. Could they have been putting on some sort of magnetic uh, rescue ladder? Or were they, what the administration is saying, removing a bomb? Okay, so let me get this straight. This is supposed to be some sort of covert cover-up of, you know, you placing the bombs there in the first place. And then you send a boat out there with 10 people on it just to re remove this unexploded ordinance. So uh, I don't know if you guys have much of a military background or not, but you don't just go up and grab and touch an unexploded bomb, okay? That's not something that's done. You need like a whole, a bomb squad, or maybe in, in the military they would probably call it something like an explosive ordinance, a, you know, disposal unit to go out and do that. Not just a random guy going up and grabbing it off the hull of a ship. Okay, so now just today, we had a color photo released of this supposed covert uh, military unit from Iran that was doing this sort of thing. And the, the photo 
shows about 10 guys sitting around with orange vests on. Does that sound covert to you? Does that sound like something they wanted to hide? Now, I guess if, if Iran really wanted to do this, wouldn't they want to just sink the ship so that you couldn't really investigate it? I mean, why would they put a bomb on the side like that and then go back to the scene of the crime and take the bomb off? And in such a nonchalant way, they could have blown all, all themselves up. I mean, wouldn't you kind of want to plan this sort of thing for like the middle of the night and then go back out wearing all black in like a black speedboat or something and do this sort of thing? I mean, they're in like a, like a white boat, a bunch of guys wearing orange vests. I mean, do, okay, so think about this. Does that make any sense? Does the narrative make sense to you? I would say no. Okay, so let's continue with the narrative that Iran did this. So one of the tankers that was attacked was Japanese. And for the first time since 1979, you had a Japanese foreign minister, okay? Oh, no, so not foreign minister. Japanese prime minister, Abe, was meeting with the supreme leader of Iran. And Iran is going to stage a military operation on a Japanese vessel while they are meeting? I mean, for the first time in like, you know, what is it, almost 40 years? I mean, is Iran stupid? I mean, nobody would probably accuse Iran of being stupid. I mean, most of these countries aren't. Even North Korea is not stupid. I mean, King Jong-il, uh, I would say, in many ways, has played his hand perfectly right into, uh, I guess, to get everything he wanted so far, right? He still has nukes. He hasn't given up those. We haven't bombed him. So, I mean, he's, he's I guess, doing okay, right? And here's the other thing. I guess when you're manning a boat or a ship, uh, you're, you keep pretty well aware of your surroundings, right? So you would know if a boat is coming up to you and you would try to radio that boat or say something to them like, hey, what are you doing? What, what's your intention? So where is the radio broadcast, I guess, that, that I want to know? Where, where is the messaging from the Japanese boat, to the supposed Iranian vessel saying, hey, don't come any closer. Who are you? What do you want? What's your intention? I mean, none of that has been released, probably because there is no recording. And probably because those 10 guys wearing orange vests on a big boat were sent out there for a rescue mission, most likely, and just happened to be recorded uh, perhaps by some sort of drone with a crappy camera, and that we are turning that around and using that as evidence that Iran planted the bombs and they went back to get them. Okay, so, I mean, those are some of the reasons why I think this whole narrative uh, from Pompeo and others that are, you know, the known war hawks in uh, the United States, that, that it's fishy, right? And And just recently, I think in the past day or so, both Japan, who got attacked, let's say, and uh, the German foreign minister came out and said, well, there, there is really not enough evidence. They don't believe it was Iran. But they need more evidence, more proof. Okay, so we have our allies saying, eh, I don't know. And we have a very fishy story. And the fact that it doesn't make sense logically for Iran to do something like this. Okay, so then you have to ask the question, who benefits from the story that Iran did it? Okay, so you have to think about that. Who would benefit if we could prove that it was Iran? Well, okay, so number one would be 
some of the warmongers, Pompeo, Trump, Bolton. And I, I put Trump in that category because it's hard to really know where he stands. Because at times he does come out and kind of say the right thing. And when he was campaigning for president, he really wanted to, it sounded like, get us out of all these you know, foreign wars and entanglements and, you know, America first, and we don't need to send our, our, you know, troops overseas to get involved in this. And, you know, he, he actually said in one of his, um, I think it was in South Carolina, there was a, uh, a debate thing there or, or a town hall, or whatever he was doing there, uh, leading up to the election. He came out and said that Bush lied us into war with Iraq. I mean, nobody had said that on TV out loud, uh, with such an audience uh, as Trump did before. I mean, I thought that was kind of amazing. But, I mean, there's, it's obvious that we were lied into war with Iraq. I mean, that's been proven now. In fact, all the wars, I would say at least since after World War II, were all based on lies. And little by little, all these lies come out. And it, it takes a while, you know, but you had the Pentagon Papers and the Gulf of Tonkin incident for Vietnam War. I, I mean... For any of these wars, you can go back and look at all the research and things that have come out about them since then, and it was all bullshit. So again, let's let's go back to who benefits from the story that Iran did it. Okay, so I, I went over Bolton and Pompeo and, and some of the, let's say, U.S. military-industrial complex people. Okay, and then there's Israel, and then Saudi Arabia. Okay, so now we kind of have to talk about oil a little bit. Okay, so oil has been the most valuable product on earth for at least the last hundred years, right? The entire U.S. dollar reserve system is based on this petrodollar, where if you want to buy oil anywhere in the world, you first have to exchange your foreign currency into dollars before you can buy the oil. All right, so what that does is that keeps the demand for dollars high. So as much as we inflate our currency and pay for all the wars, pay for all the entitlements that we have, or all the crazy spending that our country does, and we spend at least a trillion more than we take in in taxes from the people. So again, what this does, this keeps the U.S. dollar strong as compared to other fiat foreign currencies. And there's a ton of other industries tied to oil. Okay, so you have fuel for cars, uh, lubrication for, you know, moving parts. You have a generation of electricity to creating plastics. I mean, oil is kind of like the lifeblood for a ton of items that we use every day. Okay, so, well, the, you know, the Middle East has been pretty much the oil epicenter of the world for decades. And so that makes the things that kind of happen in the Middle East really important. And this is extremely amplified by the things going on in and around Iran. Okay, so now let's go through, I guess, some theories. So you have this whole U.S. fracking community where, you know, the big U.S. banks have lent upwards of, let's say, trillions of dollars to uh, the people that are doing the fracking, the fracking companies. And when the price of oil falls, the frackers become very unprofitable. Okay, and then they become un unprofitable, they don't pay their loans, they go belly up. Well, that, that's a huge incentive for the bankers to want higher oil prices. Now, could the bankers be behind this uh, false flag? 
Could they be so desperate to keep their loans on the right side of the ledger that they're willing to try to find a way uh, to increase the oil price, to create tensions? I mean, it's possible. It's definitely plausible. I mean, there's probably nothing you know, so slimy that the bankers wouldn't do. I wouldn't put it past bankers to start you know, a full-blown war. And so sinking a few ships is kind of child's play. Okay, so let's keep that one scenario in mind. And then you have, you know, the U.S. says they really aren't looking for regime change in Iran, which that's not true. They are. And Bolton has been talking about it for I don't know how long, probably as long as he's been alive. And Israel makes no reservations that it wants, you know, Iran, uh, I guess, put under the gun. And for years now, we've been told that Iran is the bastion of terrorism, that it fuels terror cells and that the mullahs are the most dangerous things on the planet. Now, is it possible that these, you know, ships were bombed by some sort of U.S., Saudi, or Israeli agent, and then hell-bent on blaming it on Iran as a justification to invade their country and it put in some sort of new leadership that's friendlier to the U.S. and Israel? I mean, that kind of kills several birds with one stone right there, right, if U.S., Israel, and Saudi are behind this. I mean, they get to justify invading Iran while simultaneously boosting the price of oil and simultaneously kind of destabilizing Iran, making it weaker, maybe putting in somebody more friendly to Israel in the region. Okay, and we all know Saudi Arabia hates Iran. They would love nothing more than to see the leadership in Iran overthrown and more of their religious sect occupy more of Iran. And, and let's not forget, the price of oil is a problem for Saudi Arabia. Okay, Saudi Arabia needs, needs a close to $100 per barrel of oil to do okay. Where's oil now? Well, oil's in the 50s. So Saudi Arabia is really hurting. Their economy's in the dumps. And if, if something isn't done soon to increase the price of oil, I mean, they're just going to keep going further and further into debt. They're going to be in a serious debt spiral. And there are other options out there. I mean, you have the whole military-industrial complex. They love to use terrorism as their favorite boogeyman. Okay, so terrorism has no borders. There's no battle lines. I mean, it's a foe you can wage war against forever and always needs to have more and more weapons available to fight it. Well, that's great for the military-industrial uh, military complex. The, you know, the companies that make billions of dollars off selling weapons to the U.S. and U.S. allies. I really don't see the military companies wanting an end to the global war on terrorism. Now let's consider for a second that maybe Iran isn't really building nukes, but instead is taking more uranium than they're supposed to be and processing it and selling it, perhaps to, you know, some bad people. Okay, so that's an option. Or that's a theory to think about, and maybe what we're trying to do is set up some sort of attack or invasion of Iran because we think they might be giving uranium out to bad players that might be want to use it against us. Well, if that's the case, why don't we come out and say it? Why don't we come out and tell the American people that this is what we're worried about? We're worried about maybe not Iran building a nuclear weapon, which... I think all the intelligence reports have said that they're not, but maybe they are refining it to a way and uh, 
making it weapons grade and then available to, you know, rogue regimes and terrorists, well, that could be a reason to launch an, an offensive. Okay, now on that same note, though, I've got a problem with Trump. So Trump pulled out of this, this deal with Iran that happened with Obama, right? So according to that deal, there were limits on the amount of uranium production that Iran was allowed to do. And in that deal, the limits of uranium production get lifted or are null and void if sanctions are put back on Iran. So not only did Trump pull out of the deal, but he also put sanctions on Iran. And so Iran, from all estimates, was following the deal until the U.S. applied new sanctions and we pulled out. And now they're supposedly at their upper limits of you know, uranium production or enrichment. But this just happened, right? And why did this just happen? Because back in May of 2019, we, we were giving Iran waivers to go over a certain limit of production so that they could sell it selling it primarily for the use of energy. Okay, so then we just removed the waivers, and now their supply of uranium is building up, and we come out and accuse them of stockpiling. Okay, so you can see how the U.S. or somebody in the administration, I don't know if it's Trump or the people he's got surrounding him, but the people he has surrounding him aren't good guys. And it's a really easy narrative to kind of poke holes in, right? You have... Trump pulling out of the Iran deal, putting sanctions on Iran, removing waivers for selling their, you know, excess uranium, and then accusing Iran of stockpiling it, and also accusing Iran of an attack. You see how these things kind of set up the U.S. and U.S. allies for, you know, either a bombing or a local invasion or something of this country? Meanwhile, it's still very fishy and there's no real proof. Okay, so I, got, I want to ask another question. And, and you can ask this of the war with Iraq. So how will, you know, the war of us, you know, invading Iraq, how, do, how will that make the U.S. safer? And you can apply that natural, I mean, because Iraq was never a threat to the United States at all. And you can take that question and apply it to any proposed war against Iran. So as far as the case for Iran as any sort of threat to U.S. homeland, the administration and the pro-war people aren't even bothering themselves with such a trivial question. How, how is Iran a threat to the United States? I, Iran has a tiny air force and a tiny navy. I mean, our air force and navy is, I don't know how many times larger. I can't even probably count how many times larger our air force and navy are. And we, we spend at least eight times more on our military than the next eight countries combined. And we have a, a huge nuclear arsenal with, that would act as a, a deterrent for any country wanting to attack us. All right, but even if the Iranians potentially posed a threat to the U.S., which, again, I don't think they are, the burden of proof is still on the government to affirmatively demonstrate that the Iran regime somehow endangers the United States, its borders, or its population. Now, you can't say that Iran is a danger to the bases that we have surrounding their country, right? Because that, that's their area. We don't belong there. So you, you come over and you put a whole bunch of bases around a foreign country, and you're like, oh, Iran's threatening our bases. Well, didn't we kind of put our people in harm's way by putting our bases there in the first place? So weren't we kind of threatening them? You got to think about that for a minute. 
what would we say if Iran had, you know, 40 bases in Mexico or in Canada surrounding our country? We would probably call that a threat, right? So it seems like the playbook is just being used over and over again, right? That there's no meaningful debate on foreign intervention or war in Congress, that you have these accusations and innuendos that are going to be used by the administration and other, I guess, branches of the military. Uh, They come out and they're like, trust us, we wouldn't lie. And again, it, it seems like Americans are going to be told that we have to sacrifice both treasure and our freedom in order to you know, satisfy the latest schemes of the American military establishment. Uh, we might also hear kind of vague plat- platitudes about, you know, humanitarian missions and how the Iranian regime must be stopped for the sake of decency and human rights and crap like that. But at the same time, we heard those stories with both Iraq and Libya, right? And both Iraq and Libya are much worse off than they were before. They're more radical Right? Radical Islamism has increased since we intervened in both Iraq and Libya, and there's now an actual real slave trade in Libya, which didn't exist under Gaddafi. And then you have to keep in mind, after we go in and bomb Iran, what would replace the Iranian regime? I mean, the most likely candidates would be something similar to Iraq and, and Libya, where you get even more radical people, more radical Islamists kind of replacing the people that are already there now. And where do we get off talking about a humanitarian mission to liberate the people when we are directly supporting Saudi Arabia's genocide of the people in Yemen? How can we be on the moral high ground for supporting a genocide in one country and then wanting to help, you know, the people of Iran? Okay, so let's contrast Iran with Saudi Arabia. Okay, so Saudi Arabia is a brutal, terrorist-sponsoring dictatorship. They tolerate no religious groups outside of the state-sponsored brand of, you know, fanatical Wahhabism. Christianity is essentially outlawed. Judaism has been completely banished. The regime tolerates no political dissent. Remember the uh, Saudi uh, crown prince Mohammed bin Salman? He rounded up and tortured his rivals back in 2017. So Iran kind of not really a a beacon of religious freedom, looks pretty tolerant compared to Saudi Arabia because in Iran you have synagogues and Christian churches are allowed to function openly. Now, I'm not saying, you know, Iran is a liberal and, like, freedom-loving place, but Saudi Arabia is much worse. And let's not forget, the hijackers on 9-11, most of them were actually Saudi. So I think the really astute observers here would know that the U.S. drive... For yet another war in the Persian Gulf region has nothing to do with human rights or defense of the United States. But the story that kind of sits for me, and it it makes sense, is that it's, it's really in America's imperial interests to be involved over there. So the, the U.S. and many of its allies, like Saudi Arabia and Israel, stand to benefit from a war with Iran. Okay, so let's sit back and see what other information comes out about this whole debacle. And little by little, I think more information is going to come out. I just hope that we don't start a new bombing campaign before the truth really gets out. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, 
rate and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Mm -hmm.